hundreds of thousands of lives uh, and, and deaths. Um, for instance, um, in the Spanish-American War, nine people per day died um, for, uh, for, during that battle. Um, the Philippine-American War, a war that probably not many people even remember or, uh, uh, or know much about. Uh, it was a three-year war uh, at the early uh, turn of the century, um, and four people a day died during that war. Um, the Iraq War, um, as many of you know, uh, lasted uh, uh, for quite a while, um, both Iraq wars, um, and they, uh, that was, there were two people who died per day during the Iraq War. Um, the Mexican-American War uh, was much more uh, deadly. Uh, uh, during that war, 29 people per day died. Um, and uh, uh, it goes on and on and on. And uh, I was looking at another thing uh, that I saw, and I, I, I noticed that the, the second most deadly war at the time was the, uh, uh, I mean, in our history, is the American Revolutionary War. That's the second most deadly war that we've ever fought. And 1% of our population died during that war, 1%. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it was 25,000 people who died during the American Revolutionary War. And um, the, uh, another uh, deadly war that you would think of is World War I. Just to put it in perspective, in World War I, only one-tenth, or actually 1.1% uh, of people uh, of the U.S. population died during World War One. That was 116,000 people. It was just 0.11 percent. Um, World War Two uh, was uh, a more deadly war, uh, but it was still only 0.3 percent of the population that died. That was 405,000 people. And I bring this all up to come to the most deadly war that we ever fought, and that is, as many of you may know, many may, may not know, it was the American Civil War. That was when we fought against ourselves. And during the American Civil War, uh, just to put it in perspective, 520 people died per day. Um, uh, it was still, to this day, the deadliest war we've ever fought in. Um, it is estimated that 750,000 people died. That is more than World War I and World War II combined. Um, and 2.4% of our population um, was killed. 2.4% of our population was, was killed. Um, and if you were uh, to extrapolate that, there were only 31 million people uh, in the US at that time. If that were to happen now, it would be truly devastating. The numbers would be in the millions uh, of people that would die in a war such as the American Civil War. I bring all of that up because the casualty rate of the American Civil War was extremely high. And the Civil War, like I said, it maintains the highest American casualty total of any conflict. But the reason might surprise you. It's not because of highly accurate or lethal weaponry. It was primarily because vast numbers of wounded people had to be left behind on battlefields. 
They didn't have facilities and personnel to attend to the wounded. I found this out in my own personal family. Um, we had someone um, uh, who, who died at Gettysburg that's in my family tree. And we actually have a, uh, a, uh, a empty tomb in Gettysburg for my family member. Um, and uh, when I was uh, running around uh, as a crazy single person, my mom said, well, you know, the one thing I can offer you is a grave. And she wasn't kidding. Um, I'm sure that, that uh, uh, they wouldn't have let me in even if, if I had died at that time. But, uh, no, to be honest, we have a grave site there at Gettysburg. But the thing that's interesting is it's an empty tomb because the, the member of our family who died in that war, he didn't die there. He, uh, he died um, in transit. He died because no one was there, no one could take care of him. And so he just died uh, in uh, somewhere on his way back to North Carolina. And then his body was uh, put in a grave in North Carolina. Um, so they didn't have the facilities or the personnel to attend to the wounded. And um, we need to be careful that when we fight for souls and when we go out and we try to reach out for the lost and try to help uh, precious families and, and individuals that we don't lose uh, track of this vital truth. As we progress forward as a church, that we don't leave the wounded behind. That those who need assistance um, that are in trouble, uh, that we don't leave them to themselves. That they don't just be left to themselves. The Old Testament is what I'm going to use today to talk about how God commanded us to establish something and provide something. In this day and age, uh, I found it very, I can't help but mention it, uh, how, uh, how fake our, our nation is and how fake many of our politicians are. They talk about having sanctuary cities, but when challenged to actually be a sanctuary for those people they say they are defending, they buck. They say, no, that's not fair. I want you to think about what God says here, because we're called, we're called in this place. There has to be a place for people who are in trouble to be able to flee to. This is what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 19. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God gives you, and you dispossess them, and settle in their cities and in their houses. You shall set aside three cities for yourself in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God gives you to possess. You shall prepare the roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God will give you as a possession so that any manslayer may flee there. Now this is the case of the manslayer who may flee there and live. When he kills his friend unintentionally, not hating him previously, as when a man goes into the forest with his friend to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down the tree, and the iron slips off the handle and strikes his friend so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. 
Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue the manslayer in the heat of his anger and overtake him, because the way is long, and take his life, though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated it previously. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall set aside three cities for yourself. <coughs> if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, just as he has sworn to your fathers, and gives you all the land which he promised to give your fathers, if you carefully observe all his commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways always, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three. So innocent blood will not be shed in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and blood guiltiness be on you. Lord Father God, I ask you tonight to make a place of refuge in this church, in this body of believers. I ask you, Lord, to make this a city of refuge that people can come to for help, a place where they can flee to in times of trouble. We give you all the praise and the glory in this place. Be glorified, exalted, and let your word be sealed in our hearts. Amen. So cities of refuge are what I wanted to talk about because there's a significant background to this um, in the Bible. There's a, at least six Old Testament references, and, and, and two times he goes into great length giving us instruction on this. Uh, God cares about this. Um, for him, it's a reference point. It's a place of safety. It's a protection from danger and distress. Um, God even does it in nature, it says in the word of God. In, in, in Psalms 104, verse 18, it says, The high hills are for the wild goats. The cliffs are refuge for the rock badgers. Uh, if you've ever been to uh, a little place that we have here in Arizona called Arizona, you'll see that the out of um, out of uh, uh, old uh, buses, they created rock cliffs for some wild goats that are on that facility there, and they it's a place of refuge for them. And they hang up on those wild, on those uh, 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 rock cliffs that they created for them, so that they can stay away from the predators that are in that place. It is a place of refuge. And it is a natural place that God has created. David, when he flees from Saul, he fled to the wilderness for refuge and defense. Um, this is something that, that God has done, and it's strategic. These are locations that are strategic. This church is a strategic location for this community. That is one of the reasons why we cannot waver. That is one of the reasons we must continue to press on. That is one of the reasons why we can never, ever uh, just discard something that we're doing. Uh, I've made this mistake. I, I've tried to give people uh, a break at times and forgot what the purpose of the church is. You know, you just sort of, you know, there's times where as a pastor you have to learn to, to not go quite so quickly, so fast. But you can't forget what your purpose is. 
You can't turn the church into just a meeting place or a place to hang out. It has to actually have the power of the Holy Spirit in it to be a refuge for people. It has to have the power of God. The authority of this scripture is that God said it. And so that would have impact. See, this would hold up in the court of law. In these cities, if something went wrong, there would be consequences. See, the Old Testament is about Israel possessing a land to establish and designate certain cities for a purpose. The New Testament is about God doing the same thing with his churches. See, in the Old Testament, there was a total of six. There were three on each side of the Jordan. To be located in the midst of each of these three districts, roads were to be built so people could have a place of refuge. He was making it crystal clear. This is a picture that it was within reach from any place within a half day's journey. Because things happen, don't they? Things happen. And so it has to be accessible. One of the things you'll hear me say on, on occasion over and over and over again is when I, when I meet a new convert or even when I'm talking to any of you during a service, I'll say, call me anytime. And I mean that. Call me at any time. Because I take seriously what God has commanded us to do. Not that I'll always do it perfectly. Not that I'll always be even that great at it. I'm sure there were issues in these cities. But that it would be there as a provision so that someone would know that God intends for this to be a place of refuge. See, to be a half day's journey is important because it means that there's a designated purpose. When something bad happens, that person can flee there and they can get there that day. See, it's a place to go so that you're safe. A manslaughter conviction means that you accidentally kill someone, yet you're still guilty. I know that you may think that that was, uh, oh, well, why would even God be upset? Why would anybody be upset? It was an accident. Because you were responsible. You know, this age that they lived in was different than the age we live in. See, we, they didn't have a spirit of victimology. It was their responsibility. It was the responsibility of their heart, okay, that that was their acts. And they were supposed to maintain that acts. And they were supposed to understand how to wield that acts. And accidents don't just happen. They happen because of neglect. They happen for many, many reasons. You didn't mean it, but it was still wrong. This is something people get caught up with all the time. They say horrible words to someone, and they say, I didn't mean it, but they're still wrong. And it's important that you understand that God has created a place with a purpose, but that we're still guilty sometimes. 
Because there's a responsibility that we have according to the law. Listen, these victims had rights. When you do something horrible to somebody else, that person has a right in the eyes of God. Period. See, the victim's relatives, they had a right to pursue this person, to avenge the blood of the slain relative, because you can't bring them back. They can't come back. And so to satisfy justice, this was normal. You know, it was normally the, the righteous thing to do was just capital punishment. But here's the thing. In this case, it's not premeditated. It's not hatred or passion. And thus, God has created a divine provision. A person could flee. And the anger of the avenger could be cooled. Cooled down. God's desire and his nature is that judgment not be brought unnecessarily. That if the shedding of blood is not needed, it not be done. I want you to key in on that idea here because this is a revelation. This is something that Jesus understood. This is the message of the cross. I was amazed as I read the book that my kids looked at about Easter, they instantly said, the bad men did this to Jesus. The bad men put Jesus in a cave, they said. When I reread the book, though, that I had read to them, it just said the men. But to them, to them, death was bad. And so anyone that was a part of that was bad. They instantly clicked in their brain. They instantly, and you know, my son, he can't articulate it yet. He's trying to say it, but he says all the time, the bad men can't, the bad men won't, the bad men, they, the bad men, they, just this afternoon before I preached this message, he ran to me on the couch, he had picked up the book, and he just went to the page with the cave. The bad men, Dad. Tell me about the bad men. I started thinking about it. I'm starting to get worried because I say to him, this is bad, all the time. But I hope he gets that connection because, see, there's a refuge in the cross. Amen. The cross of Jesus, there's a refuge there for us that we can't lose. It's a refuge for the repentant sinner, though, isn't it? It's not necessarily a refuge for all the bad men, is it? In the Bible, there were two men at the cross and only one had refuge. Two bad men. 
See, the text is reserved for the manslayer who's found innocent because he's without malice. Or he is no longer in his ignorance. He's the reality. It's the reality of his own state. He's running to refuge. You can't be safe in this story if you're a manslayer and you say, I'm going to live where I live. I didn't mean it. Can you? In this text, if you want to judge God, you can. But this text says he must move to a place that God has designated that is a place of refuge. It's a place of repentance. God is saying to this man, I didn't kill him. You did. A lot of us don't like that, do we? We don't like that idea. It hurts for God to tell us that. But God, you know, I mean, I grew up my whole life saying, but God, look where I came from. Look at my brother. And I could do that now, couldn't I? I could be like, oh, look at my little church, God. Of course I'm not praying as much as Pastor Mitchell. Look at my little church that I got. Of course I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not as on fire as those guys in Prescott because, well, look at my little church. They're getting a 2,300 foot facility. It's going to seat 3,000 people during conference. Of course they do all that stuff. But you know what I teach our teams? Let's go up there and do Learn how to do all that stuff. You know what I teach my men? Let's get in a little car because our van don't run right. And let's drive up there. Because I feel guilty if we die in the van. So let's just drive my car up there. We'll drive up there and we'll learn how to do what they do. We'll learn how to bring that here fire here. So you can always do that. And God says, no, that's not, it's available for you. Calvary's cross is available for you, but you have to go to it. It's a place of refuge. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. He has created a place for us to flee and have refuge because God does not allow judgment unnecessarily. It's already on Jesus. The judgment for your sins is already on Jesus. The, the, the illustration here is that God is an earthly judge. God cannot forgive or justify. Forgiveness implies guilt. 
If justified, there's nothing to forgive. But God both forgives and justifies by blood. See, God paid the price, brothers and sisters. He paid it in full. God paid it. See, this is the issue. The issue is that the avenger is not allowed to shed innocent blood. God himself, through Jesus, satisfied his own justice. That's why we're not guilty. The cross, God's blood, the blood of Christ shed at Calvary, it justifies us. It justifies me and you. We're not allowed to be judged anymore. The devil, the devil is there, but we do not enter into his condemnation. Because we pass from death to life. The devil has no claim or right on you. He has no claim on your life. He has no claim on your soul. Second Samuel, listen to these words. There's a great revelation here. Chapter 22, verse 2. It says, and he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. See, this is a man who gets it. It's a refuge for the people of God. You know, there's a practical level to all this for us. It's a practical level that you need to take into your heart. It's the fact that we make mistakes. See, there's issues that we have, and it's the issue of making mistakes. And mistakes can often turn into even neglect. They're not intended. They're not planned in some evil heart. But still you're guilty. So God creates a city of refuge for us. Not for the unrepentant. It's not a license for you today. That's why when you go to the book of Numbers, in chapter 35, you'll see extensive instructions. They're very, very specific. Elders, congregation is involved. There's many people involved. Role of both protection and judgment is talked about, either to receive or to judge. But the issue here is God creating a place of safety for you. For those that fall and are snared and are deceived and are hurt. Because Ecclesiastes 9 says these words, it says, For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. You know, he's not just saying a bunch of pretty things there. What he's saying is, I'm trying to instruct you about something. And the instruction is this. You have no hope. 
Because there is something that is going to ensnare you. And it will do it when you don't suspect it. <coughs> and if that is something that is impacting your heart right now, and you're anything like me, you're a little worried. Well, pastor, what happens? I mean, I'm gonna make mistakes. Pastor, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, 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 you know, I, I, I I'm irredeemable. I've got real issues, Pastor. The answer is that you enter the place of refuge by faith. You ever imagine back then, uh, like a paranoid person? Like I always think of like what would happen if, um, if like, and I know this is an old reference, but. What would happen if someone like Woody Allen killed someone by accident? You know, back then. He would have no faith. He'd be like, mm, I'll definitely go to that city as a refuge city, and then they'll just, I know what's going to happen when I go there. You know, I know what's going to happen. You know, I've had conversations with men in this church, I'm not going to name names, but they're like, they're, they're exactly this way. I mean, I, I've actually had men say to me, well, you know how my faith is, Pastor. But you know how my faith is. There's no way I'm going into that city refuge. You know, because you have to have faith to believe that God's going to protect you in that city. Don't you? Amen. There's a lot of people in that city. Matter of fact, a lot of them are knuckleheads. What I notice here is God is making a city full of knuckleheads. Woody Allen would be like, hey, listen, the last five guys that killed someone accidentally are in that city. I'm not going there. Are you kidding me? There's no way I'm going there. It takes faith. That's why. God knows what he's doing. God saying, will you put my life in your hands? Because there are years. Hebrews 6, 18 says that by two immutable things, that means things that can't be um, things that can't be muted or things that can't be shut up. It's like two of me standing before you. <laughs> In which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. That is a profound, profound statement. It goes on in Hebrews in chapter 10 to say, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, it takes faith to do hard things. And it takes this kind of faith that only can be put in God. You know, I want to just tell you something that has been proven true in my life. God told me that I can make him the center of my life. He told me that through Jesus Christ I could be saved of my sins and that he could create a new life for me. 
being with him forever is something I can make the center of my entire life. But can I give you a little clue? That meant that I had to come into this church no matter what. I had to come to this city every time it was open, every time I could. And when I didn't, I had to repent. I know people don't like that message. They like the idea, well, I can just come. Is it okay if I, what's the obligation? What is it, Pastor? Just tell me. I'll do it. Well, maybe I'll do it. Let me, let's go over it together. Right? The obligation is everything. The obligation is all of it. Because you're not here, it's not about me and you. It's not here, we're not here to come up with a list of 10 things that all of us agree with. We're here to be in accordance to God. Amen. And so I told God, you know what God, I will show up. And I will come. And you, you change me. You make me better. And when God would show me the areas of my life that weren't right, I said, God, I need you now. Because this isn't right. And you know what? As a pastor, I still do that. I still do that. See, because the only way you remain is by faith. That's how I remain. See, one of the things that you'll understand if you focus on the things of God is that we are supposed to be a people of refuge. So to recap, listen guys, God has created a city of refuge. And there's refuge in the cross. And that cross created a people, and that's called the church. The people who you got saved with. The people who God drew you to. The people who God created in, in your life to worship God with. Through thick and thin, no matter what. That's the role of the congregation. Those that dwell in the cities of refuge. They had a responsibility to those that fled there. They had a role, didn't they? I can imagine, you know, some of the guys that were fleeing there. And the elders were like, okay, uh, listen, listen, Johnny just got here. <laughs> we all knew Johnny was going to make it here, <laughs> right? We know Johnny's family. We know what Johnny's about. They had a role to play. I'm sorry if that's, doesn't, that doesn't seem, uh, you know, holy and, and pious and religious enough for you. But there's a pr practical level to living for God. That you have a role to enforce what is true. That's why all those lists were there. Because people would come in to the city and they wanted refuge. But then they would find out, wait a second. That happened to the last three wives you've had. Right? Or am I wrong? You're not repentant. 
You married Natalie Wood three times. That's an old reference for our older saints. You know, I, I get a kick out of these kinds of things. Because, you know, there's a guy who most of you know. He's a movie actor. You know, I used to think he was cool. But now all I can think about is he was there the, way, the day the day Natalie Wood died on a boat. And no one was there. But God was there. God was there. And I just hope that one day people would just actually seek refuge. See, because there's characters that come from people who have, uh, that, that are people of refuge. There, there's a characteristic about them. They're accessible. See, in the Bible, in this story, it says that there are roads to be built. People of refuge, people who seek refuge, they are the kinds of people who build roads. They build roads to the lost. They build roads to the hurting. They build roads. And they make themselves accessible to those roads. Because they know the need. They understand the need for it. And, you know, in the tradition that we um, uh, see in this, in this text and in numbers, they were, be, they were to be checked and repaired yearly. That means they were to be maintained. You know, your obligation in the church is not just to be here and to seek refuge. Your obligation is to make sure that things are being maintained. That they're being repaired yearly. That you're removing hindrances from people. Obstacles. You know? I remember telling a brother one time, listen, the way you smell when you come into church is an obstacle to people. You need to, you need to figure that out, that's, that, that sounds rude, right? It does. I'll be honest. It, 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 it's not comfortable to have a conversation like that. Right? But you have to have one. Because we have an obligation as a group of people to, to make sure that we're doing what's right in the sight of God. God said, no, this can't, it can't just be that you make cities of refuge. You've got to make sure that the road is there, that anyone can get there every half. You know, weeds grow up. Shrubbery grows up. Animals of prey might gather around certain areas. There might be a big bear. Imagine if that was your job. Oh, yeah, hey, uh, city of refuge, uh, yeah, about three dials down, there's like a, I don't know, it's like a 20 foot barricade. Um, you, you need to take care of it now. Well, I was just thinking I would just stay in the city, you know what I mean? I got, I got a pot roast business. No, don't worry, it's, it's, it's only, you know, it's like a, you should be able to get there in like a few hours. But the truth is that that's how a lot of us are. That's how we act, right? When when pastors like, hey, we need to um, do this, or when a brother in the church is like, hey, man, um, I got to do song service. Can you like help me make sure that like the kids are taken care of? 
and that we receive this today. God wants to help us. He wants to build our characters. This is how he does it. He creates a city of refuge, and then he says, okay, take care of it. Joshua 24 says, and when he flees to one of these cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. This is really what I wanted to get to is the issue and the quality of our ministry and, and who we are. Because this is the core of it right here. This is what we have to do. We can't ignore this. You know, one of the things I love are the brothers and sisters in the church that I see just, you know, really wrap themselves around certain people and begin to do this, and I begin to see it. And one of the things that I hate is when I watch them lose heart. Maybe something's going on in their life. Maybe there's some obstacles. Maybe there's some hindrances. Maybe, uh, to be honest with you, they're just being neglected by others. But I tell you, listen, this is God's call for us, to take them into the city and give them a place and dwell among them. This is the, the issue. This is why a pastor taps your shoulder during a music scene and says, give a testimony. This is why. This is why I do what I do. Because I'm called to do it. See, people need other people's help. They need people to stand by them. Your pastor needs help. You know, a lot of people, they have God in them. They, God has been dealing with them. Before I walked into this church, God had been dealing with me for years. And that we can cast out 
the devil right now. And he will have no home here. I stand and look at men. I know there's not many men here tonight. But I stand and look at men and families and children. And I remember. I remember. When you needed someone to stand in your stead. Because I needed someone to stand in my stead. And if there's anything that makes me weak more than anything in the world. It's the men who should have been standing in my stead and are now are gone. Because they didn't take the command of God seriously. They gave up the fight. They left the city of refuge where they were called. We must do this on others' behalf. We must do this for others' behalf. We must create a city of refuge for the lost in the name of Jesus Christ. I think every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. We serve a wonderful.